0: Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney. And as I record this, the news just broke that uh, the Trump administration launched 60 Tomahawk missiles against an airbase in Syria, uh, the base reportedly from which Bashar al-Assad launched a horrific attack on uh, rebel-held territory with uh, reportedly sarin gas, killing about 80 people, uh, including children. Um, It's hard to know what to think about this. Uh, Militarily, uh, it doesn't seem like the most horrific response, potentially. What is terrifying to me is that we have put this power to destroy in the hands of Donald Trump, um, who is a man who is unqualified and unthoughtful and self-obsessed and immature and with no grounding or foundation of knowledge which you should have to make these decisions. And and that to me is scary. It's not so much what happened tonight as what happens next and then next and then next. Um, What he did tonight won't solve the problem in Syria. There is no easy answer to what's happening in Syria. And later in the podcast, you'll hear an interview with uh, Stephen Miles from Win Without War. And I talked to him, obviously, before this launch earlier today on Thursday, and he has a lot of really uh, a good perspective on what's going on in Syria, um, what we should be doing in Syria, and uh, the dangers ahead uh, if we continue down uh, a, milita- a militaristic path. And the truth is there, there really are no easy answers when it comes to Syria. Um, it is a horrific, years-long civil war with um, 500,000 civilians have been killed by Assad and ISIS and, and even some of the rebels we support. And it is it's a horror, is what it is. And um, the only thing I know that we should be doing is allowing more refugees fleeing that horror into our country. That's the one thing we know, and that's the one thing Donald Trump won't change. So, uh, like I said, there'll be an interview later in the podcast on this really important subject um, that's going to be at the top of everybody's mind. Um, but you know, I, as every week, I'm going to cover, as I say, the worst and weirdest that Donald Trump has to offer because there is other th- there are other things going on as well, and you need to know about those too. So we're going to cover a, a bunch of stories uh, in this podcast. And why do I do it? Because this is not normal. Look, I don't want to spend every single episode talking about Russia and spying and the Trump campaign, but the top White House priority most of this week was defending Trump's tweets from four to five weeks ago. Everything going on in the world right now. And and yeah, we're going to get to that Everything. And this is the focus of the White House, to defend stories about wiretapping that never happened. Just listen to this tweet from Trump.
1: When will Sleepy Eyes, Chuck Todd, and NBC News start talking about the Obama surveillance scandal and stop with the fake Trump-Russia story?
0: And they keep moving the goalposts. First it was Obama-ordered wiretaps. Then it was Obama-ordered surveillance. Then it wasn't Obama, just someone in the administration. Then it wasn't surveillance of Trump, but Trump Tower. My fellow Jews who are about to celebrate Passover, they're all saying die new after every line here. Then it wasn't surveillance of Trump Tower, but surveillance of a foreign power. Then it wasn't the surveillance of the foreign power, but the unmasking of whoever was talking to the foreign power. Then it was revealed that Obama National Security Advisor Susan Rice was the one who unmasked the intelligence, and now the President of the United States is accusing her of committing a crime, which she did not do. The, the National Security Advisor asking, hey, who was that foreign agent talking to in this conversation, isn't committing a crime, that's doing her job. Remember, all of this is to defend Trump's tweets from a month ago, which we knew the moment he tweeted them were lies. And all of this is to distract from the very real story of Trump's Russia connections. So, what's the big update in that story this week? Devin Nunes, the embattled circus clown and chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was finally forced to recuse himself from the investigation into Russia. There's an ethics complaint against him because he may have revealed classified information in his desperate attempts to defend Donald Trump's dumb tweets. Honestly, the the House investigation, it's not going to get any better. Three other Republicans are running the show, and there's no reason to expect them to do any more fair of a job than Nunes did. One of them is Trey Gowdy. Yeah, the Benghazi committee guy. Presumably he'll get to the bottom of, of Trump's Russia ties by asking Hillary Clinton to testify about her emails for 11 hours. We need an independent investigation and or a special prosecutor. It's the only way we're going to find out what happened. Think for a moment about the worst job you've ever had. The one where you had an incredibly incompetent boss who deep down knew he was incompetent, but reacted to any criticism by blowing up, getting super defensive, and how that attitude trickled down and made the environment so toxic that no one could get anything done and everyone spent the whole day just sniping at each other. And that one time you sent a a catty G chat to coworker A about coworker B, only you sent it to coworker B by mistake. And God, that was really embarrassing. I'm I'm, I'm sorry about that, Natasha. Anyway, that's the White House. That's who is in the White House right now. We have this incredibly incompetent leader who is thin-skinned and defensive about his own complete lack of intelligence and ability. His staff is constantly at each other's throats. It's been 11 weeks since inauguration, and there have been, what, a dozen or two dozen negative stories about the White House staff, and even the president leaked by White House staff? But the biggest fight is between Jared Kushner and Steve Bannon. In the one corner, you've got the unqualified 36-year-old son-in-law who apparently has no ideology or belief of any kind. In the other corner, you have the terrifying white nationalist who wants to dismantle the federal government and and turn America into a post-apocalyptic wasteland run by race warlords. Boy, it's... It's really hard to pick a side. And this week, it blew up completely. Bannon was kicked off the National Security Council, which, first of all, thank God. And then Bannon went ballistic on Kushner. He reportedly called him a cuck, which is especially bad, given how much Donald Trump has talked about wanting to bang his daughter. And also a globalist, which is Stephen Bannon talk for Dirty Jew. And worst of all, he called him a Democrat. Whew. that is rough. It really does remind me of a toxic workplace, only this time the stakes are about a million times higher than they were for your worst job. Donald Trump, who has been accused of sexual assault by about a dozen women, and who once bragged on tape that he liked to grab women by the pussy, and still somehow won an election for President of the United States, including 53% of the white women vote, declared April National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Isn't that nice? Let's look at how he's celebrating. This is from NBC News on April the 3rd. With little notice, President Donald Trump recently signed an executive order that advocates say rolls back hard-fought victories for women in the workplace. He rescinded an Obama order, uh, which, according to the story, included two rules that impacted women workers, paycheck transparency, and a ban on forced arbitration clauses for sexual harassment, sexual assault, or discrimination claims. Okay, first of all, don't ever use impact as a verb. I just, just don't. Paycheck transparency allows people to talk to each other about what kind of money they're making so they can find out if there's wage discrimination. If I can talk to my women co-workers about what I'm making and they're in the same job and making less, we know there's, there's wage discrimination. And of course, forcing people into arbitration for sexual harassment, sexual assault or other claims and keeping them out of court is a huge advantage for employers and a huge disadvantage to women employees. Happy National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. But that's not all. This is from Huffington Post on April the 3rd. Days after Melania Trump presented courage awards to 13 women working for gender equity around the globe, President Donald Trump's administration halted all U.S. grants to the United Nations Population Fund, an international humanitarian aid organization that provides reproductive health care and works to end child marriage and female genital cutting in more than 150 countries. You may remember we talked about this in a previous episode with Summer Brennan, who worked at the UN. So women in the poorest parts of the world will be forced to marry early, forced to have children before they're ready, and even forced to have their clitorises cut off because Republicans think abortion is icky. Happy National Sexual Assault Awareness Month! But that's not all. The New York Times reported uh, that Bill O'Reilly, the the Fox News host who once masturbated on the phone while telling his producer he'd like to rub her with a falafel, uh, apparently settled at least five sexual harassment suits to the tune of $13 million. Uh, Advertisers have been dropping from his show like flies. Uh, According to one report, he went from having like 30 commercials per episode to seven on Thursday night's episode. In an interview, Trump was asked what he thought uh, about O'Reilly, and instead of saying something like a normal human being would say, like, that sounds terrible, or, or even just, I don't know the facts, he said this, I think he shouldn't have settled. Personally, I think he shouldn't have settled, because you should have taken it all the way. I don't think Bill did anything wrong. I think he's a person I know well. He is a good person. To which there's really only one possible response. Happy National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We have a ton of stories left to cover this week, but we need to get back to Syria. So let's wrap this up with some quick hits.
1: Quick hits.
0: First, an update on White House aide Sebastian Gorka. You may remember uh, Forward Magazine reported Uh, In his home country of Hungary, a group with Nazi ties claimed he was a member. Well, Forward found video of Gorka on a talk show citing approval of an anti-Semitic extremist party forming their own paramilitary force. That sounds terrifying. Yet somehow Gorka is still a White House aide. It's almost like being anti-Semitic isn't a bad thing in this White House. Quick hit! We've talked in earlier episodes about Trump essentially handing decision-making in matters of combat over to uh, military commanders. And here's one example. He, He loosened the rules of engagement for the military fighting terrorists in Somalia, making it much more likely that attacks could result in civilian casualties. In case you've forgotten, we already have a problem with civilian casualties when we fight terrorists. It happened under Obama. It happened under Trump in his Yemen raid, and now it's going to happen more often.
1: Quick hits!
0: Speaking of foreign policy creepiness, uh, apparently Eric Prince, he's the the founder of Blackwater, which is the private army that used to just murder the hell out of everyone in Iraq. And he's also uh, the brother of Betsy DeVos, Trump's billionaire education secretary who wants to destroy education. Eric Prince established a private back channel to Russia through a guy who knew a guy who knew Vladimir Putin. They had this super secret meeting in a fancy hotel in the Seychelles. It's like they read a really bad spy novel and were like, oh, I guess this is how you do foreign policy. Quick, hit. Hey, do you remember when Congress passed that horrible bill that lets internet service providers sell your browsing history? Which, you know, isn't anything you need to worry about because you only visit flowersformygrandma.com and howcanihelpthechildren.org. Anyway, that bill is terrifying, and Trump signed it, of course.
1: Quick hits.
0: Donald Trump is a model of ethics and whatever the opposite of corruption is, which is why he still owns his businesses, which will probably be affected by pretty much every decision he will ever make as president. And he gets regular updates on those businesses, even though they're supposed to be managed without his input. And as ProPublica just discovered, he changed his trust agreement to make it possible for him to withdraw cash from the Trump Organization Whenever he wants. Which isn't sketchy at all, right? He just needs cash for the White House vending machines. He needs his afternoon gummy bears. Quick hits! Trump tried to reincarnate the Trump care bill this week. He needed to get those sweet, sweet Freedom Caucus votes, which of course means they had to make the bill even worse. Uh, so they put out a proposal that would have eliminated requirements that health insurance cover essential benefits like checkups prescription drugs, maternity care, and it would have made the whole pre-existing conditions protections meaningless. Because if your insurance company can say, well, we, we can't deny you coverage because of your pre-existing condition, but your plan now costs $10,000 a month and doesn't cover anything, then it it doesn't really help you. Luckily, this, this effort seems to be just as much of a failure as the last one. But they're still trying, so keep an eye out for this. Quick, hit. The Justice Department is going to end its broad investigations into police misconduct, which includes working with police after releasing reports to improve their practices. I mean, why would you stop doing that? Quick hits! Trump's new nominee for Secretary of the Army is a Tennessee state legislator who wrote a bill essentially making it legal to discriminate against LGBT people. He's replacing Obama's Army Secretary, who is... A gay man nice
1: quick hits
0: finally and thanks for sticking with me through these stories folks trump's budget would end two epa programs designed to keep kids from being exposed to lead paint lead paint children what do these people think government is for Thursday night, Donald Trump launched dozens of Tomahawk missiles into an airbase in Syria. It was just hours after Stephen Miles, the director of Win Without War, told me this.
2: Just today we're hearing reports that the president is in consultation about potential military strikes um, against the government uh, of Syria. We have not yet heard any specific details. The administration report has not yet made a firm decision. Um, But it appears that Donald
0: Trump is ramping up for a pretty big escalation of military conflict in Syria. What we need to realize is how little an impact Thursday's strike will have in the war on Syria. It's the deadliest ongoing conflict in the world. We're not talking about a country that
2: is stable and secure. We're talking about a country that is deeply divided after seven years, uh, after six plus years of a civil war. We have multiple, multiple armed factions. Some of those armed factions um, are, are you know, militantly against America and our interests. Um, The US itself is engaged militarily in Syria right now across um, a large swath of territory uh, fighting ISIS. We've been involved for a number of years farming, uh, arming rebels uh, and supporting rebels engaged in trying to overthrow the Assad regime. So this is a real powder keg to be talking about lobbing a couple bombs into. And while we don't know all of the consequences, we do know what it won't do, and that is it won't end the war. It won't end the human suffering, and it ultimately will do nothing to bring to account uh, the perpetrators of this and other horrific attacks in Syria. I asked Stephen about the attack that started this crisis. So in Idlib province, uh, which is one of the last areas really held by rebels in Syria, uh, there was an attack earlier this week in which uh, chemical weapons appear to have been used, reportedly possibly sarin gas, um, and to date somewhere around 80 plus individuals are confirmed dead, a couple hundred more injured um, and this is the largest and deadliest chemical weapons attack since the chemical weapons attack in 2013. Um, what's come out is a series of kind of jarring and really really uh, difficult and troubling photos, um, innocent little children, some of them still in their diapers, um, dead from from the attacks and so it's really kind of shocked the conscience of, of the of the world uh, and it's, it's caused a strong reaction by the White House um, that has kind of, as of yet to be determined, ultimate results. Um, it's worth putting that in a little bit of context for what's been happening in the broader context in Syria, though. This is a civil war that's now in its seventh year. Hundreds of thousands of individuals have been killed. Um, you know by any measure, massive amounts of women and children and non-combatants have been killed. This is a particularly jarring attack because the world has decided that chemical weapons are the kind of weapon that we just do not find acceptable to use. But
0: I do think we have to put this in the context of a larger war that continues to drag on. Now, just before that attack, Trump had changed American policy on Syria, softening on whether Assad should be forced out. So what the White House has done is that they have
2: pivoted pretty strongly from where they were on Syria just a few weeks ago, which was in reality a stark departure from America's uh, position on Syria. So through much of the Obama administration since the war began, the Obama administration's position was that Assad had become an uh, illegitimate president and that he needed to be out of power for the future of Syria. Um, How exactly they were going about doing that and what they thought needed to be done varied at at times. Um, But their position, at least officially, was that Assad needed to go. Uh, Last week, uh, two senior Trump administration officials, Nikki Haley, the ambassador to the United Nations, and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, both clearly and unequivocally said that American policy had changed, um, that we were not going to be um, looking to remove Assad from power, Um, that the goal of the American foreign policy would not be to remove Assad and that uh, we were moving on. Uh, Flash forward a few days to this chemical weapons attack and what we saw in remarks by the president yesterday after uh, a meeting and standing alongside of the Jordanian king um, was a tone that we have not seen from this president before in this conflict. He said that his position had changed very quickly on Syria. He said that this crossed many, many lines in a reference to President Obama's famous red lines comments about Syria, um, and that he expressly would not tell us what it was he was now planning
0: to do about Syria. Why had he shifted American policy in the first place? One guess.
2: Yeah, so I think the Russia connection is a really important one here. You know, Russia is extremely invested in uh, defending and propping up the Assad regime. Uh, It's worth noting that the port that Russia maintains in Latakia, Syria, is one of their few overseas military bases. It's one of their most vital military infrastructure uh, components, and they are not going to simply abandon that anytime soon. So they have uh, long-term investments, long-term relationships, and they have deep-rooted interests here.
0: And the attacks Assad perpetrated against his own people, Trump had been sending signals that that kind of behavior is just fine with him. President Trump was, was sending
2: different signals. He was sending signals that, frankly, uh, Russia was going to be able to do whatever they wanted in Syria, that we weren't going to be particularly concerned with human rights abuses. Um, he sent that same signal when the State, when the state Department uh, announced that they would be selling uh, F-16s to Bahrain and lifting all the humanitarian uh, restrictions that had been placed on those sales. He invited uh, President al-Sisi from, uh, from Egypt, a brutal dictator who is was violently cracking down um, and who was very, very, uh, very, very clearly not invited to Washington under Barack Obama. He was here in Washington just last week meeting with President Trump. The net effect of these is a green light to Assad and Russia that enables attacks like this, that sends the signal, we are not concerned with what, ha- what you do and how you conduct these wars. Now, the president wants to come back on the back end of that attack and say, we're going to say something different. But he needs to own up and be accountable for his actions that gave the uh, willingness and the opportunity to make attacks like this possible in the first place.
0: But let's get to what's really important here. The people Assad is murdering are the same people Trump is calling terrorists and refusing to let in the country. I asked Stephen whether he thought Trump would change his refugee ban, given his new stance on Assad. No, unfortunately, I don't think it would. I wish it would. Um, You know, I, I...
2: I don't find the president to be someone who has a a deep connection to the truth, Uh, but I I do believe when he said yesterday that the images of the dying and dead children uh, moved him. Um, But this is not someone who then makes the logical connection that these are the same children that he said should not be allowed into our country because they might be terrorists. That these are the same children who should be forced to live in refugee camps that he is going to not support as he dramatically slashes funding for the international agencies that support those camps and support those refugees. So no, I don't think he's going to change his tune. I wish he would, Um, but the complete and utter lack of recognition that those same folks that he was so moved by in the photos are the ones he is actively hurting with his policies is a really
0: damning indictment of this president there are no simple answers to what is happening in Syria right now. I asked Stephen what policy he'd like to see the administration pursue. I think it's, a,
2: it's uh, incumbent upon us to start to reimagine what we mean by accountability and to start to believe and come to terms with the fact that we want to have accountability for crimes like this, that enforcing that accountability is in fact part of how you prevent things like this from being done in the future but we need to be a little bit more creative of what that, about what that accountability involves. Um, but we also have some historical precedents to look, look to. Uh, in the 1990s, uh, the Balkans were torn apart by a war that saw massive human rights abuses on all sides. The international community came together and said, we're going to establish an international tribunal that will work over time and hold to account all of the perpetrators of war crimes, uh, whichever side of the conflict they were on. That type of accountability mechanism, it lacks the instant gratification that Washington loves of seeing something blow up. But over time, it allows a society to rebuild itself. It allows the international community to hold folks like Slobodan Milosevic and others accountable for the war crimes they committed in the Balkans and would hold folks like Assad accountable in this situation. It takes time. It's not immediately gratifying. But the quest for immediate gratification is one doomed for failure. There are no good options when it comes to Syria. There are no options that simply make everything better, and we have to recognize that.
0: Later, after Trump launched the attack on the Syrian airbase, I reconnected with Stephen and asked him what his first reaction was to news of the attack.
2: I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, it was pretty clear during the course of the day that the president was preparing for military action. It seemed like it might be something that would come tomorrow or later in the weekend, but it came, came rather quickly. Um, my first and honest, you know, part of my gut reaction was that this, is, this president is so impulsive. Um, he used the word flexible to describe himself earlier in the week, but the reality is that he appears to lack any sort of conviction or principle. And when you're talking about war, when you're talking about the types of decisions that you make as commander-in-chief, this is a really dangerous place to be. You know, if the reports coming out now that he was so moved by these images of dead children uh, are are true, and and let's be clear, those were horrific images. Those were tragic images, and, and you'd have to be a truly cold human being to not be moved by those images. But if that's what he's basing his policy on as commander-in-chief, if that's what he's making decisions about the fate of our country, solely on his emotional reaction in moments like that, I think we have to be alarmed and we have to be worried about what kind of decisions he's making.
0: And he added an important point. I have to say I
2: was really angry um, because I was angry that a president would use the suffering of these little children, of these humans, at the same time that he was actively making policy decisions that was putting those children in harm's way, that he said a year ago he would look those same children in the eye and tell them they weren't welcome in the United States. You know, the disconnect between his words and his actions over time is startling and it's troubling.
0: Y'all know I like to end the Trump scorecard on a fun note, and this week, more than ever, we need it. But honestly, it was a little hard to find something good this week. But there was a moment in that interview, remember, where he said something horrible about Bill O'Reilly by saying something nice about Bill O'Reilly? That really cracked me up. And the quote is this. Elijah Cummings was in my office, and he said, You will go down as one of the great presidents in the history of our country. If you don't know who Elijah Cummings is, he is a a Democratic representative from my home state of Maryland, uh, my home city of Baltimore, actually, uh, as well as the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee and a firebrand, an excellent, excellent congressman. And I can guarantee you that he does not believe that Donald Trump will ever go down as one of the great presidents in history. And when he was asked about it, he basically said, yeah, yeah, I told him if he did the opposite of, of everything he, he's doing, then he could be a great president. Doesn't seem too likely. That's it for another week living under the existential dread that is the Donald Trump presidency. I want to thank Stephen Miles, who was kind enough to speak to me both before and after Trump launches attacks on Syria. I also talked to Stephen about Trump's meeting this weekend with the Chinese Premier and how they'll be discussing the North Korean crisis. I'm gonna post that to the Facebook page, so you should go to Facebook and check that out. We're at facebook.com slash the Trump Scorecard. As always, I link to all the stories that we talked about today on the website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. And of course, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's tips for the podcast, stories you think I should cover, So write me an email at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at jesseburney.
1: It was a picture of him farting in his wife's face.
0: Um, The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and don't forget, this is not normal.